Alrighty, welcome back to The Ferment, everyone. I'm here with KB in Studio One, and we're back. KB, how are you? I'm good. It's been a bit of a break. We've been busy. Been very busy. Lots going on. Yeah, lot out and about doing events for both of us. Mm. And also, you know, vintage, wrapping that up and sort of moving into this lovely autumn season and seeing all the trees out there just changing leaves, seeing everyone come through Salador. It's a great time of year. And visitors, visitors to the winery from a media and trade point of view. And I tell you what, the experience that people are getting with the the kitchen garden, the tour with the chefs and then coming back and having lunch, the the people are just blowing away. It's amazing. Bodie is doing some amazing stuff in that kitchen. I um, just swung past about 10 minutes ago and he's like, hey, Kevin, check this out. Handed me a plate of cheese. And I was like, "Mm, it's nice cheese, Bodie. He's like, I made it. He's making his own brie. Um, incredible yeah. absolutely amazing yeah he's doing such an, a brilliant job and we've got something to look forward to uh, a little bit down the track but i hear townsville uh, is on the cards not too far down the uh, down the pipeline yes yeah, so i'm sure our team up in far north queensland are getting excited so we've got grapes of mirth uh, headed by merrick watts and the brown brothers team from millowa all heading up there to put on a full weekend of festivities wine food comedy it will be amazing and catch some heat. I noticed uh, today, Catherine, that you've donned probably the biggest jacket I think we've uh, seen at Brown Family Wine Group in some time frame. It is quite cold, but uh, you're struggling with the temperature? I believe I'm solar powered. So (laughs) if the sun's out but it's minus five degrees, I'm fine. As soon as it gets a bit overcast, I seem to just like curl up, need to curl up in a cave or, you know, (laughs) next to a fire or something like that. Classic. All right. Now we've got Simon McMillan with us. How are you today, Simon? Very well. Thanks, Harry. Great to be here. Yeah. And how's things been going for you at the moment? Yeah, it's been very busy. We've just wrapped up Vintage, another successful season. So uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty good. We're pumped to have a bit of a chat about it. Yeah, no, definitely. And it was quite an unusual vintage. You know, we we sort of heard from early days that uh, it was one out of the box that was probably going to throw us a few curveballs here and there. You know, what did you sort of see um, leading into Christmas and how did you see that part of vintage playing out? Essentially, last year going into springtime, there was quite a lot of rainfall. So there was a lot of challenges there for the growers maintaining their spray programs in place. The guys out there did a magnificent job, especially with Company Vineyards, uh, keeping that health right through the season. So we were very nervous at first, but the fruit that came through in the end, the quality was magnificent. We didn't have any disease pressure towards the end of vintage. It was mainly a little bit of downy pressure at the start, but the the practices were put in place um, paid off. All that hard work getting extra sprays out. And yeah, it looks magnificent. We're starting to hear some pretty, I guess, dire reports from around not only Victoria, but the wider wine industry for the season. And, you know, this effort that you're talking about early days that the the vineyard team put in, it's probably saved our bacon, I think, when you you hear some vineyards are down, you know, 90 to 100%. You know, they're they're not even picking any fruit. That's right. For some regions, they just weren't able to get into the paddocks and spray. You look at the Riverina, they really struggled because they had that rain there and the water didn't sort of drain away. We're pretty lucky with our company vineyards, Uh, We have some of those sandier soils, so when we do get the high rainfall, it does drain away and then we can get in with the sprays and and put those protectants out. This early season rainfall, do you think that was a contributor to... Because it was a pretty late vintage, wasn't it? Yeah, because we had quite a cool winter and then a cool spring, so we had quite a late bud burst. So when we have that late bud burst, that'll lead into a, a later season. And also throughout summer, it was quite cool. 
We didn't really have any of those big heat waves. It was quite a moderate season, so it's quite good. Set us up for the vintage pretty well with those conditions that we had. We're hearing that the volumes are going to be down a little bit versus sort of our long-term averages. Is that how it played out? It did play out like that. I guess what's happening in the vineyard at flowering, that's determining how many bunches you'll have per cane on the next season. So the, the springtime before, that determined how many bunches we had. And then the, the spring that we just had, that determined how many berries per bunch we had. So with those two conditions combined, it led to lower tonnage per hectare throughout most vineyards. Because both were quite cool. That's right. So yep. when you have those cool wet conditions, it affects your flowering, but it also um, um, affects your um, inflorescence primordia, and that's how much, um, how many of those bunches per cane you'll have next year. Your what? <laughs> inflorescence <laughs> inflorescence what? primordia so in the bud <laughs> that's where the canes are developing for next year and that'll just determine your your fruitfulness for the next season excellent excellent so what did we end up bringing into the winery so here for miller we crushed about twelve thousand ton uh, if you look over the last 20 years we normally crush anywhere between eleven thousand and eighteen thousand ton mm. the average is about fourteen thousand so overall we're slightly down on what we normally pick yeah but not ridiculous not ridiculous we've made everything we had to make um, the volumes are there so we're in a pretty good place yeah fantastic and in the season we've just had you really have to look at the pros and cons and of course the the con is that the yields were down but the pros can be that if the yields are down you essentially end up with very high quality fruit looking at your portfolio were there some some good highlights Absolutely. Overall, looking at our whites, they were really concentrated in flavours. So for me, the Chardonnay had loads of balance this year. The acidity and the sweetness was perfect. There's pristine fruit flavours there in barrel and in tank. So Chardonnay was definitely a highlight. Uh, another one is Gamay. Uh, so that's coming back into the Brown Brothers fold. That's also a highlight. Really good balance there. Some bright red cherry fruit, some crunchiness. So we're looking forward to see how that one tracks. And then into your, some of the other reds, we're looking at reds overall had really good concentration because there was lower tonnage per hectare. We we're seeing a lot, a lot of colour, good concentration of flavours and fruit. So that's set us up for quite a good year with those uh, low tonnages. And for a number of years, probably even a decade, um, we, Kate Looney looked after the Moscato portfolio. Uh, is it right that that's now in your hands? And can you tell us a bit about the vintage that you had for Moscato? Yeah, so this is my fourth year working with Moscato. So this is it's obviously our biggest product. In terms of tonnage, we bring in slightly more fruit for Moscato than what we do for Prosecco, but this was the first year that we pull in more Prosecco grapes than Gordo. Oh, so the mix is slightly changing. <laughs> but once you throw in orange musket and Moscato giallo, it was slightly more for the Moscato program. So it's, a, um, it's quite a big program and it's quite a complex system that we have to get the wine through so you know with our system that we have in place we have our skin contact we're going through the screw presses uh, and then into the winery we have quite a complex clarification system where we have centrifuging earth filter rdv and then from there into fermentation uh, filtration clarifying uh, at the moment we're currently blending our moscato so that's a two-week process so we're starting it this week and then we'll finish that into next week. So there's quite a lot of moving parts with the Moscato program. And then from there, we're looking at our variants. So we've already blended the Moscato Gold as a Bebo, and then with our core Moscato, we can look at doing things like Moscato Rosé, sparkling Moscatos, and so forth. 
I think uh, a huge part of winemaking is actually that post-vintage time and that blending time. And from my own experience, there is it's no mean feat to blend a million litres of Moscato and the the work that you do sort of logistically to make that happen is not just a week's job, it's, it's really months. Yeah, there's a lot of planning that goes into it and because it's made, you know, it's nearly three million litres worth of Moscato but we don't have a three million litre tank so we've got to blend this across multiple tanks and then re-blend across those for a second time. So there's a fair, fair lot of moving parts. I love hearing when, you know, Simon and yourself, Catherine, talk about Moscato as a grape variety because, you know, it doesn't sell at $70 a bottle like our Patricias do, but you talk about all those little influences that have to go on through the vineyard, through the winery, through temperature control, through all of this as well. There's so many moving parts and there's so many places where things can go wrong at low alcohol, high residual sugar but we seem to nail it every year. It's a real testament to, to the team and, and what they're doing. Absolutely. And as you say about that sugar and alcohol, you're working on averages throughout the, the whole season. So as you're um, monitoring your ferments and potentially one ferment has fermented a little bit more than what you wanted it to, so you've got a bit less sugar and a bit more alcohol, then you have to manipulate and make sure that you don't let the next one go through a ferment as far so you can work on those averages. So then when you do get to that blending, you've got these different parcels that you're able to to balance out and get that spot on 5% alcohol. So we have spoken about Moscato, which I imagine is your favourite child. Uh, do you have other favourite children or varieties in your portfolio? Yeah, I've definitely got favourites. I really enjoy uh, working with Montepulciano. Uh, I think... Uh, Probably not, the, the growers probably don't love it because <laughs> there's a lot of work that goes into the vineyard. I know Carl, he has to do a lot of shoot thinning, a lot of bunch thinning to get the balance right. It seems to be a trend with some Italian grape varieties where they like to throw a big crop of fruit, so it's important that you manage that uh, fruit level. The reason why I like it is because I don't, not because I'm lazy, but it's just because you don't have to do a lot with it. <laughs> you, when, you, when you're making wine, I, I feel like if the less that you have to do with it, the better wines that you can make. So it's got all the ingredients there. It's got loads of tannin, loads of colour, great fruit intensity, and I love those sort of rustic tannins that it has about it. Unfortunate thing uh, for this year was we had very small tonnages and that it was probably less than two tonne this year when we normally get about four, and that's just a reflection of the season that we had. I did see that we've got a small parcel in and I've already started coming up with some ideas for Salador. I thought maybe a, a Melbeck Monty, and you could call it the M&M. M- <laughs> I like it. Keep me out of innovation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with with peanut flavour, what do we get? <laughs> it's got some nutty undertones. <laughs> I heard that there's a, there's probably small volumes of Nero Davila as well, so maybe like a Nero Monty blend <laughs> yeah. uh, that could be could be on the cards. Anything's possible. I, I think yeah. that one would go on my staff account. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a- in for abs- that. Absolutely. It, it even just saying it, it sounds delicious. So I, I'm sure it could come together very nicely. <laughs> Simon, we all know that Fiano is. The next big thing. So can you tell us a bit about Fiano and how that looked for the 2023 vintage? Okay, so Fiano, we had three um, distinct batches. We had uh, some fruit from Ildura, our own company vineyards from Mystic Park, and then also from our uh, the King Valley uh, material that we get from Mount Bellevue. With our Mount Bellevue fruit, it carried loads and loads of acidity. So when we picked it, around about sort of 12, 12 and a half Bome, the acidity was uh, probably three... 3 to 3.1 pH, and the TA was about 12. Oh. I thought it was, yeah, it was really high. So the eventual alcohol is nearly 13%. With that 
acid, with that acid in there. So that's more acid than what you're going to see in a sparkling base. So one technique we're using this year is a bit of, bit of malolactic fermentation. So it's going through that process at the moment just to bring that acidity down, just to strike that balance between that. We still want to have some of that minerality and, the, and that refreshing acid, but we want the balance. We don't want it to be over the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once again, this is a because of the season, there's only a very small quantity of this. It's only five tonne. We normally get sort of 10 to 15 tonne for this. Moving into the ori- Origin series, we've uh, done loads of trials again this year. There's uh, good volumes there to work with. And once again, there's really good acidity in there. We're trying a bit of barrel work, a bit of lees stirring, trialling different yeasts again. So we've got a lot of different parcels to give us diversity and, and complexity into the final blend. Overall, out of all the varieties in your portfolio, what is the most challenging variety to work with? I guess probably the most challenging is probably Moscato. And for the reasons that I touched on earlier, uh, it is a high risk product because you've got all those sugars in there and it's it's just wanting to ferment. It's just waiting for the right conditions and the yeast can sort of kick off at any moment. So at this time you're a little bit nervous, making sure that everything's clean, pristine, there's no activity in there. Uh, it's nice and stable and we've and we're achieving that that flavour profile that we're looking for, that tropical fruit, the spice, and also we want the consistency in there year after year. So what we're putting on the shelf is going to be the same each year. So that's I guess the most difficult one to get to get right. So there's a fair bit of work involved. And making sure you've got bubbles. Make sure there's bubbles, yeah. <laughs> now, Simon, you look after the Patricia Cabernet. What sites have we got earmarked at the moment for Patricia Cabernet? So one site we have is over in the Bendigo region near Maryborough, and we always take about 10 tonne from that side of Cabernet. We've also got a source in the King Valley around Chest Hunt that we take around about 10 tonne. And then there's another grower in Coldstream in the Arrow Valley where we take about five. So from those growers, we treat them all separately, get them through ferment, then into barrel, leave them for a year and a half. And then once we've got that in place, then we'll look at blending and and getting the right balance between the blend. We won't use all of each component. We'll just put the blend together to find the right balance in the end. And how have you seen the the Patricia Cabernet fruit looking this year? What what are you thinking? So with our Cabernets, we're finding there's really good fruit concentration, good tannin, where we're finding balance. We're not seeing those higher alcohols that you can get in those warm years. We managed to achieve ripe tannins and the, and the flavours that we're looking for with those sort of lower alcohols. So I think we've stru- struck a really good balance. And those are the sort of core building blocks that you want when you're looking at an ageing wine. So there's that natural acid there, the tannins. Uh, so it's all looking quite good at this stage. Simon, recently I was listening to Joel talking and in the list of challenges for vintage this year, a surprising thing came up and that was the lack of CO2. Now, in my mind, when we ferment wine, we actually create CO2. So can you elaborate a bit more about this shortage of CO2 and how it's affected the operations in the winery? Yeah, so we, we have a unique system here in the winery. We actually capture a little bit of our CO2, but it's only a small fraction of what we do. Uh, when, the, when the wines are fermenting in tank, the CO2 goes up into a bag, and then from there it gets redistributed back into the tanks. Throughout the year, we can top it up with nitrogen, so we've always got a nice cover throughout our tanks, and that's a unique thing for our winery that not many people have. We also use carbon dioxide as dry ice uh, through a lot of processes in the winery, but also at packaging. There's a shortage at the moment of getting that dry ice delivery, so it's caused a lot of headaches in the winery, uh, especially in packaging when they're trying to work with sparkling wines where we need that CO2 level to maintain the pressure into bottle. So it's created some pressures in the winery to, to maintain that good CO2 cover. Now, this shortage 
I believe it's come about through what's happening in South Australia. I believe through their gas generation for energy, that's where they're using the CO2 as a byproduct to compress into the dry ice that we use. So that plant has been less operational because of a higher level of renewables into their network. So that means there's less uh, CO2 being produced for the dry ice. So the South Australians are using Victorian supply and then that's creating shortages for us. So it's creating a real headache at the moment. Hopefully in the future there, there could be some technologies that could um, allow us to harness winery CO2 better and compress it and use it later on. So we'll have to wait and see what happens in this space. It'd be the ideal situation, wouldn't it, to be not only reusing it the way that we do through the, the, um, that trickling of the CO2 back down and, and settling on the top of the wines, but be, to be able to compress it and, and utilise it would be the ideal scenario. Yeah, it'd be great to be full circle, self-sufficient, and uh, I think it'd be a good thing if it, if it could happen. Any, any innovative entrepreneurs out there that know how to do that? Simon, every vintage, there's always a number of trials going on. This year I heard you worked with something called a BioScout. Can you tell us a bit more about that? This is not in my wheelhouse, but I've just been reading up on it. And apparently Sean Dean is sort of taking the lead on this program. It's essentially a box that you can set up in your vineyard. It's got a fan on it. It sucks air in and there's a tape, like a, a, a film tape that goes around and it collects any sort of particles. So it's dust particles could be any pathogens in there so it could be like downy mildew or powdery mildew or botrytis spores and as it's going round, there's a camera that can measure it's taking pictures of that tape real time and it can determine the concentrations of spores in the air so I, I guess what it does it gives you a bit of an early warning system of what spores are out there in the vineyard so I think we're looking at setting up trials at Mystic Park there could be a trial at Heathgate and then possibly down in Tasmania as well mm. So it's quite a new technology, but it's quite interesting to see if that could be an extra tool in our toolbox to help decisions in the vineyard to determine if you need more sprays, less sprays. Uh, so yeah, let's inter- interesting space to, to see what happens there. I think the less spray thing is the really interesting part of it because it, you know historically it's pr- probably more been a, on sort of like a cycle. You just go, oh yeah, it's this time of the year we better spray this. But if we know that there's not the particular spores or pathogen in the vineyard and we can say, okay, we can skip that. That's right. It, it, it will save us money but also environmental impacts as well. 100%. Mm. And amazing technology. I haven't done much reading in it but uh, imagine being able to have something like that as well to monitor air quality um, in, in bushfire situations mm. um, and actually being able to monitor how much smoke has actually gone across that vineyard. Uh, So I can see that this sort of technology could be used on so many levels. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's also that fun time of year where it comes around to budgets and to work out capital expenditure for the year. What is on the winery wish list this year? Not necessarily wish list. We're just trying a new technology this year, which was continuous flotation. So this is a technique that you use for white wine. So we've been using uh, static tank flotation for Prosecco, and that's been very successful for us. So... Just to sort of go back a step and explain here, when you're clarifying your, your white juice, normally you use cold settling. That's a traditional method. You put your juice into a tank, you leave it overnight or for two days and then the solids will fall to the bottom of the tank and then you decant or rack the, the clear juice off the top and then you get rid of the, the solids at the bottom, uh, maybe with an RDV filtration. The newer technology is using flotation where you can put your juice into a tank and then straight away you pump it over, injecting nitrogen into the juice 
Ruckman with an adjuvant. And what it does, it flocculates your solids to the top of the tank. And you're doing this at a warmer temperature, about 20 degrees, whereas cold settling, you could be about 12 degrees. And the advantage of this is you're saving money on electricity on the cost, but it's also a real-time processing. You don't have to wait 24 hours for it to happen. You can do the flotation and you can rack it and it's all done in a few hours. You get really good clarification and then it eliminates the need to use something like an RDV where you're using the diatomaceous earth. We've done trials with this with Gordo, but it hasn't been very successful. It, when, you, when we're doing a, a flotation using Prosecco, you might get uh, anywhere from 1% to 5% lees, which you discard. Our trials with Gordo, we've been getting anywhere from 25 to 30% lees, so that creates problems you need to do further clarification. So this year we trial the fl- uh, continuous flotation unit, so it's a similar process, but it's using a tank which is about 15, 20 metres across. And you're floating into this tank. So you're putting the, the juice under pressure with the nitrogen, with the adjuvant, and the flocculent goes to the top. And then in this machine, it's sucking the scum off the top of the cake. And then that scum goes through into a secondary filter. So we're trialling this process to see if we can eliminate using the RDV process. So if you look at our Moscato process, as I mentioned before, When we're clarifying, we have to centrifuge the juice, earth filter on RDV, and there's a potential if this was a system we're going to move to, we could have that one process that can eliminate those three steps. It's basically bringing the solid elements to the top. That's right. And then being taken away from the top. Yeah, it's like when you crack open a can of Guinness, you pour it into your pint, and you get that nice sort of foam going to the top. Well, that's a nitrogen head, and that's a similar idea. Yeah, interesting. And it also means that we essentially get potential more bottles of wine out of that juice? I guess from our trials, the overall losses are going to be fairly similar. It's, it's a sustainability issue. We want to try and look and see, okay, can we get rid of the RDVs? Is there a different way you can clarify juice without having to buy that earth each year and then go and dump it? And is it a streamlined process? We're finding this other technique is a lot quicker through the winery and then it frees up people to be working on other jobs uh, as well. Uh, very cool. Now, Simon, you're often sending through interesting photos or um, you know tips of wines that you've had a look at that are that are really exciting. Is there anything that uh, sort of gems that you've tried in the last little while? Yeah, a couple of weeks back, I was at a Rick Stein seafood restaurant at Port Stephens. Um, I had a little break there after vintage, which was a nice bit of a long weekend. Uh, and I had an Albarino there from um, Rios Biaschus. Um, it was a Castro Martin. Oh yeah, nice. Uh, it had like loads of acidity. It had that uh, that uh, varietal sort of saline character to it, and it was just mouth watering. It just went so well with the flathead um, that I had. So that that was one to look out for if you see it around. Do you know? Is it readily available? Have you tried to chase it down? No, I haven't had a look. But if I see it again, I'll definitely you know, grab another one. Perfect. Yeah. Bring it into Studio <laughs> yeah. One. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and we'll get the deep fryer going with some, <laughs> yeah. some nice fish. <laughs> oh, cooked in loads of butter. Yeah, yeah. it's delicious. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get Ross and Judy to send yeah. up some of their Tassie flathead. Done. Good. <laughs> now, you're mentioning we're at the end of vintage, but what sort of day today for you at the moment? So at the moment, we're looking at getting our reds through malo. So that's malolactic fermentation. So most of those through that process so once that happened we can rack them off some solids um, incorporate some sulfur and then we're going to start looking at getting a lot of reds into barrel Uh, so that that will involve getting last year's reds out and then getting these these years in into barrel next week we'll be blending our tarango so we've got a bit more volume than what we had last year because we picked up an extra block of tarango 
currently blending Moscato uh, this week and next week, so that's a big program. We've just blended our rosé. Once again, I think that looks pretty smart. We've gone with the, the same composition this year with Shiraz and the Dolcetto. I think that works for us quite well. And, yeah, just managing the other the other wines through the everything's everything's through ferment. All the ferments in the winery are now finished, so it's just a matter of tidying things up and I'm starting to looking at uh, some different blends. We'll move into looking at Moscato variant blends, getting all those ironed out. And uh, you know, it sounds incredibly busy, and vintage is incredibly busy. Is there any chance for you to get a break at any time soon, Simon? Are you going to have a Are you going to have a holiday or what? The yeah, well, that's what I just mentioned. I just <laughs> spent a few days up at Port Stephens. It was a family thing up there, so that was great to get up there. And, uh, have a bit of a surf and, and hang out up there. So it was great. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining us at The Ferment and giving us an insight into vintage 2023. It sounds like a bit of a challenging one and the yields are down a bit, but the quality uh, sounds like it's going to be awesome. Yeah, thanks, Harry, for having me. And thanks, KB. How good was that, everyone? If you have any feedback for us at The Ferment, please send us an email, theferment at brownfwg.com.au. Also, don't forget to check out our Tasting Note podcast. Thanks for listening to The Ferment, everyone. Stay safe out there, chase hard, look out for each other.